Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, November 2nd, 2012. Today we're reading from the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, page 55 at the very bottom of the page. Today's readers are Sarah, Esther, Kathy, and Sharon, and the share code for yesterday's meeting is 3257. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Miriam to read the 12 steps. Uh, good morning, coffee shop. Uh, good morning, a vision for you. This is Miriam calling from Israel. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and perilous more inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge to His will for us and the power to carry it out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to the compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our prayer. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Miriam. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 traditions. Melanie, press star 1 to unmute, please. Oh, hello. I'm, I thought that I was. I'm sorry. Hello. Good morning, Leah, and good morning, everyone here. I, my name is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater calling in from Minnesota today. Thank you for your service. Uh, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me read that, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. How our meeting works, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We're in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, on page 55 at the very bottom. And I will ask Sara to begin reading, please. Good morning, A Vision for You. Good morning, Leah. Thank you. This is Sarah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New York. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. His story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. I'm going to stop right there. And 
it's just so interesting um, that they're starting, this, like they're telling the story of this man who thought he was an atheist, and he's a minister's son. And he became, he attended church school. He did, you know, he, you know. I just relate to this. Not that I ever thought I was an atheist, but hmm, perhaps, you know, I I grew up in a religious family. I had religious education, but in my family, these were questions, you know, um, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, and the the idea of where God is in our lives was an idea, was a question that we grew up, that my my sister and I had many, many conversations around, and our responses were were very different. I'm a very spiritual person by nature, so I don't, you know, it's just something that I, I always knew that I could not live without. But at the same time, and thinking an overdose of religious education, sometimes, I you know, I have this attitude of too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And it it was too constricting and too suffocating. And, and I really need my freedom. And I defined freedom by being able to do whatever I want. And that was my freedom. And only when that freedom led me to more and more self-will and more and more self-destruction did I realize that sometimes God's kindness comes through the enough pain to direct me back to where I need to go. And that's to him. And when I read this and I read how much pain, how much incredible pain this man went through, but where did it bring him? It brought him, if he would not have gone through that pain, it never would have brought him back to the solution. And I need to know that when calamity strikes, it's not, it's not, punishment it's a reminder of where i need to go and that the only thing that's too much of a good thing is not a good thing is too much of me and my self-will and my ego and my self-centeredness and that's too much of a good thing and obviously the compulsive overeating that we know that but that ego-centeredness and that self-will and that control that i tried to exert in my world thinking that that's freedom it's disillusionment and that real freedom is being connected to one who is all-powerful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Hi, good morning. This is Melanie, compulsive overeater. Yes, Melanie, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, I thought of my own life in in reading about this story here and what I came to believe. And then, of course, it speaks to the reasoning that I had 
brought with me into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous and that I had friends that were children of um, of ministers and the reputation that they had was not very glowing. <laughs> and matter of fact, we kind of um, giggled about the fact they were some of the worst, uh, some of the worst behaviors. And so that caused an interesting thought in that area that formulated an idea of God. And my own personal experience in the way that I came to believe in the God of my youth was that of, of you're going to come and rescue me. Some things in my household were not very pleasant, and so I knew that this God, based on my understanding, based on my reasoning, based on the best that I could muster at that time as a child and carried into my adult life, that the God of my understanding was a rescuer and one that brought great gifts and that would um, prevent me from going through any trouble whatsoever. And this piece is very interesting to me because obviously I didn't take stock of the map of my life because it was it was absolutely dogged with trouble and and failed attempts at different things um, and pain and agony and a love hate relationship with a power greater than myself to the point where I had developed um, more strength towards my own reasoning and my own true grit to get through life um, rather than relying on a power greater than myself, not only a power greater than myself, even though I believed it was there, I believed I couldn't access it. So this continued to warp the thinking that I had. And so coming into OA has been quite an interesting journey, coming back to that and truly can see that um, the layers of that disbelief, that layer of of denial and lie thinking has... um, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, been lifted from me. And that's how I identify in with this particular paragraph. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Linda in Connecticut. I'd like to. Go right ahead, Linda. (laughs) Good morning, Leigh and all folks. I'm really thrilled to be here after this week. Um, Let me think. Well, I was an atheist. I didn't start out an atheist. I ended up one because of this disease. <coughs> Excuse me, allergies. Um, I was raised in a family that was very religious, and um, they were good people, but they were uh, compulsive in different ways. And so there was confusion, and I did the best I could, and so did they. And so as, a, let's say, a really young girl... I uh, tried different religions, usually to kiss up to the boyfriend. Could I fit in here? I was kind of auditioning for wife. And I didn't know that. I I know that now because I've done a lot of step work. So it included going to different churches and stuff. And I really was sincere. It never made any sense to me because I did look around at all those awful things that were mentioned. And later on, some of those awful things happened to me. And um, personally, not in my family, suicidal stuff and everything. So so I ended up, and I didn't know it was grace, a free gift. I didn't know that. I ended up in OA eventually. And here I am, plopped down, did the step work, do the step work, and it's 
about 150 years later, I feel old this week because of the hurricane, but it's almost 30 years later, and I'm recovered, and I have a wonderful relationship with God. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience because those steps, the big book, the steps, and all the folks that have pitched in, especially you guys, especially my sponsor and you guys at um, Vision, I, I, I'm just, I'm free one day at a time, and I have to keep my ear to the ground like they used to show Native Americans keeping their ear to the ground because I have to be obedient. And that's not an awful word anymore. It's I'm listening for direction. And I would have thought, how corny. No, how accurate. Because uh, it's an un- God is an untapped, formally untapped inner resource right, right in the center of me somewhere, and guiding me, guiding me through a hurricane, and guiding me to pick up the phone and share some of this. I hope it helps somebody. Thank you. I love you. I pass. Thank you, Linda. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? I'm Kim from Florida. Go right ahead. Um, the line that really jumped out at me is that his change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. And I think about, um, you know, I don't know if I was an atheist or an agnostic, but being raised in the religious family, and every time I did something wrong, I was told, see, that's God. He's getting you because of being disobedient to parents. So the view of God was really skewed. And I remember in my home just I was constantly being rewarded with food, um, you know, the white bread with the butter and the sugar on it was just something that you know, my grandmother and I shared for years. Um, and as I got older, of course, my addiction all changed. And um, eventually cleaning all that up, I went right back to food, not realizing that that in and of itself was an addiction too. But what I've learned in this chapter and, you know, through my sponsor and doing the steps is I had a spiritual awakening and realized that, um, you know, religion and spirituality are completely different. I feel like today the God of my understanding is a very personal God that loves me, forgives me, leads me, guides me, and is interested in my life. So I feel like I'm in a relationship with the higher power and this chapter, reading it through this last um, however many weeks we've been doing it at A Vision for You, which is, um, I'm a very blessed person to find this meeting, has just absolutely made my life better in that I have had more moments where the light bulb has gone on and listening to the experience on this line that I realized how much my problem was 100% spiritual. And each time that I hear and have these revelations, I realize other areas that need to be surrendered. And, you know, made the decision to turn my life at my will over to the care of God as I understood him. You know, I could check that off my list. But there were certain things, you know, certain emotions, certain character defects that, I just was hanging on to because of fear. And, you know, through the reading of this and the understanding that 
it's a good God, my understanding today, that I can surrender these other areas of my life and walk a free woman. Because I, too, like the other caller, thought freedom was doing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted and being spoiled. And um, that led nothing to slavery and to bondage, you know, um, eating my way through pain. I wasn't a minister's daughter, um, but I was incredibly rebellious and defiant. And my other side was the grandiosity thinking. I just swung between those two. I had all those insanity, illness, and suicide in my families. And, you know, realizing through this program that I did not believe that those people, especially ones that were taken from me through abandonment, in my perspective it was, or death, that that was not fair. And I knew better. So I had control of my life, which led me to the deepest, darkest hole that I thank God I'm not in anymore today because I like to play God. I thought I knew better than God. And today I'm walking a free woman because of the trailblazers like the women on Vision for You and the men that have shared their experience, strength, and hope that I, too, have been able to find the spiritual answer to my problem, which has been security and acceptance and significance. All of that comes in the fact that I am a child of God. End of story, period. And if it was not for the grace of God, I would not even be alive today. So thank you. I'm claiming my seat here. I belong here. My problem is a thinking problem as well as an eating problem. And I thank you all for sharing your hope. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to look here at this first paragraph on page 56. It says, he attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Look at that word thought. You know, the big book teaches us that our problem centers in our mind. You know, these attitudes that we have and these emotions and, and ideas and prejudices. So this statement reinforces to me that the problem really begins in our brain. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. All action is born in thought. If I think that something, uh, you know, isn't worth my time, isn't worth my energy, then my, re- my, my behavior, my actions is going to reflect that. You know, if my thinking is that uh, I have no need for God, then my actions are going to reflect that attitude. And my actions are going to be one of rebelliousness and defiance and bitterness. And that is expressed in our compulsive overeating. Compulsive overeating is merely a symbol of our separation from God. You know, and this paragraph um, says to me, you know, it says for years thereafter he was dogged by trouble and frustration. Dogged meaning held down, shadowed, followed. Um, again, all action is born in thought. Look, look what is born from his separation of God, uh, business failure, 
insanity, fatal illness, suicide, these calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. You know, they start talking about he was embittered, he was depressed, he had disillusionment, he had alcoholism, serious alcoholism, he had uh, impending mental and physical collapse, brought him to the point of self-destruction. What I just read are the principles of disease. That's the results of disease. That's the result. It was my personal experience. That was the result of me separating myself from a power greater of myself, turning away from trusting and relying and depending on something greater than myself and going the route of self-sufficiency. My self-sufficiency led me to depression. My self-sufficiency led me to disillusionment, led me to serious compulsive overeating, led me to near collapse mentally and physically, and led me to self-destruction. You know, we grow up seeing ourselves and, and our God through distorted eyes because it's our limited vision. We have limited vision. So what this paragraph is reminding us of is that we still may be harboring uh, childhood anger at God because of the disappointments or due to the severity of our experiences. You know, perhaps we rejected God because he didn't relieve our pain. But unless we let go of our distrust and begin to lean on God, we're going to continue to operate in an insane manner. We're going to continue to get the results of the disease that I just read, because the chaos and the confusion of our lives are only going to increase. The bottom line, as the big book teaches us, is that we are never going to be completely free until we totally yield to God. That was my truth. Perhaps it's your truth as well. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Beth, compulsive leader in Illinois. Can I share? Your turn, Beth. Thank you so much. Good morning, a vision for you. I am so glad I found you all out there. Uh, I was discussing um, God the other day with my friend and um, doing a lot of 12 step work with her, and she's got um, about 200 pounds to lose. I've lost 140 since I came into this program. I'm at a, a normal weight. Thank you to God into this program um, because I was really, really miserable and I was suffering health consequences um, from the extra weight, and and she said that she thought that God had given up on her. And I said, if God had given up on you, then he would allow you to be at your normal healthy weight with no consequences for your compulsive overeating. I really think that God has an extreme amount of patience with us, calling us, calling us, calling us, calling us, no matter what we do, if we try to pretend that he's not there, if he, we go our agnostic way, whatever it is, all the pain that we bring on ourselves. And I, I do think that a lot of the pain is God's um, helping us to be in misery because he wants us so much to come to him. We are his children. He loves us so much that he allows us to have the pain and the suffering that we choose to have when we don't go to him as a way to call us back to him. And it just is an an amazing, it just almost makes me want to cry because I have never had anyone or anything want me so much that I would go through that much pain. Just get me back. And it just really, really reinforces to me that there is a power out there that is so awesome and so loving 
And I have no doubt. I I have come running back to him, and I have to turn to him all the time and and say, Thy will be done. And and know that when my head gets crazy, if I stop and say, God, take this from me, please, please remove this and and handle this for me. It's amazing the instant relief that I get. I it just has really gone so far to reinforce what I know to be true that there is a power greater than myself out there. And I and I'm so glad that he called me home and waited for me so long through so many years. Um with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. We're gonna move on now to the next paragraph with Esther please reading. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question, Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? So this line here, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. It reminds me of myself. Um, Step two in the AA 12 and 12 describes that, that type of person very nicely, the type of person who has plenty of religious education but no spirituality. Um, It says there, we had always said, grant me my wishes instead of thy will be done. The love of God and man we understood not at all. Therefore, we remain self-deceived and so incapable of receiving enough grace to restore us to sanity. So his problem wasn't that he had too much religious education or not the right type. His problem was, like my problem, was that there was um, self-will. We were propelled by self-will, and we looked at God as someone to grant my wishes rather than someone that I needed, whose will I needed to do. So this is, was his reaction when he was com- approached by someone in whom the problem has been solved. But later, further on in the paragraph, we read um, that he spent some time thinking about um, these ideas and how, you know, and how his attitude had changed. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Janice. Janice, go ahead, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So here we have it. Here we have it. This most important question, the tipping point, that moment of clarity. You know, in this sentence, this question that he asked himself, is put in italics to give us an indication of exactly how important that was. And he had to get to that point, exactly that point, to ask that question. Who are you to say that there is no God? You know, and I had to get to that very same moment of clarity when I knew deep in my heart that I was like these people, that the fundamental idea of God was deep within me. The great reality of that was deep within me, but it had been veiled and covered and blocked 
by all of the things that I had tried to do, think my way out of it, my ego, my self-will, my determination, my, my human willpower had done nothing for me. And like him, he says, in pondering that question, he felt as though he lived in hell. He felt as though he lived in hell. And that's the place that I had found myself in over and over and over again. Where life just didn't seem worth living sometimes. But to come to this place and make this decision, you know, to say, who are you to say there is no God, Janice? Who are you to say? And he even asked himself if all the people that he had known, all the religious people he had known, how could they all be wrong? How could they all be wrong? And like a thunderbolt, that great thought had come to him. That question that he had to ask himself. And I think when we get to that point, if you're anything like me, something beautiful can come out of that question. Something beautiful can happen when we get to that point where we do think we live in hell and we can't bear to be there one more second. And we're willing to wave the white flag and throw in the towel and say, help me, help me. And I'll never forget the night that that happened for me. And I flew out of my chair at that OA meeting. And I said, help me, help me. And it can happen for all of us. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sharon. Sharon, please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. This is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater and um, grateful to, to be on the line this morning. Uh, the the uh, sentence, if there is a God, uh, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. And um, uh, and his his gorge rose as he bitterly cried this out. And for some of us, it we we are afraid to confront God with our truth. But he finally got so um, uh, he he was so despairing. And, um, you know, he looked at these people who were free of alcoholism, and here he was still in that despair. And it made him angry, so angry that he, I, I kind of imagine that he was, uh, he'd had all this religious training, and he'd learned to fear God, the God of his parents. He didn't want to admit that he feared them, but there there was something in him that kept him from being truthful with this God and being truthful with himself. But finally, he, he got honest and said he was bitter. He bitterly cried out, if there is a God. Now, you're not going to be bitter toward a God you don't believe in. So there was some, there was this bitterness, and he cried out, "If there is a God, He certainly hasn't done anything for me." And what really strikes me is that he got honest. He got honest 
that's how he really, that, that was the question that he had. That was his truth. And we never have to be afraid of looking inside and being honest about how we feel toward a, a higher power, toward, toward, um, toward the God of our understanding at that particular time. And once we can get honest with what we believe, then, then, then we can go on. Then it was after he got honest and he asked himself a question. He looked inside himself. He stopped looking outward for where's the problem. And he looked inside. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? So after he became honest, then he could truthfully ask the question. And then, then, then the answer came. And it was at that moment that he began to have conscious contact with his God. And for each one of us, we have to come to this place. For in, it doesn't, it's not required to make a beginning. But it, at some point, we come to this place where we begin to make conscious contact with God, sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly, but we always get to this point. But in order to make a beginning, all we need is to honestly look within ourselves and begin to, to be honest with what we believe. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Anyone else on this paragraph? This is Robin. Robin, go right ahead. I I just read ego, ego, ego in these couple of paragraphs. And I remember when I came in, you know, I was willing to believe that there was some ego in me, but um, not really because I'd been such a nice person all my life. And I, you know, as as I was taught, as I was brought to my knees by my my by my disease, I started to see that indeed my mind had been in control of everything that I had been trying to accomplish in my life. I mean, I'd spent years and years trying to figure out the God thing and why it wasn't working for me. And in this paragraph that we're reading here, um, I, you know, I'd like to point out also the sentence, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. <laughs> God hasn't done anything for me. But then as I looked at the people around me, I could see um, these people have something that I don't have. And how is it possible, me, one little person who's living in hell, and I'm surrounded by hundreds of people who are not living in hell anymore, I started to believe that maybe, just maybe, my ego was getting me in big, big trouble. And then it came to me, as, as the sentence says, who are you to say there is no God? I was face-to-face with the idea that my ego was in charge and I truly needed to let somebody else teach me how to be a more selfless person. Um, so that's what I get out of this paragraph, and thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. Anyone else on this paragraph before we move on? Hi, my name is Tony. I like to share. Of course. Tony, go. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tony. I'm a food addict. 
uh, just a couple of things that really hit home with me on this. Uh, first of all, uh, he was already approached by an, uh, an alcoholic who had a spiritual experience. So here's a man that's armed with the facts about himself, and he's trying to convince him. Uh, he's telling me his story, and he knows that this is working for him. So I, I, I remember sitting at many, many Sunday morning churches um, after a binge the night before, thinking that I'm going to have that spiritual experience right there like a bolt of lightning. And here I was looking at these people that were talking about God, and I was hating each and every one of them because they all looked normal. And I was resentful. And the other part is, just like you said earlier, when I said that question to myself, it made me become a little bit more aware about how much anger I did have about toward God and all my past experiences. Because I kept living my life by blaming and judging others, including God, rather than facing my own self. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. We're going to move on to the next paragraph now with Kathy, please. Good morning. This is Kathy, and I'm a composed reader. This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. By pouring over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide of flood, The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Um, I'd like to take a moment to share on this. And uh, I have read this passage many, many times, and um have always wished for that dramatic experience um which I have not had um and so I just want to say that um this is one way um in the spiritual experience in the back of the book it says some of us come to God slowly and some come quickly there are many different ways and so um although I Uh, I get a lot of hope from reading this. I also have to temper it with the possibility that I'm one who will come to my faith uh, in a more gradual way. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Janice. Janice, go right ahead. Thank you, Leah. I get so excited by this paragraph because it is absolutely part and parcel of what we have been reading through this whole we agnostic. You know, what happens? What happens to us? He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. And what happened to him? He let go absolutely. He let go absolutely. He fully conceded to his innermost self that without this greater power than him, he was nothing, there was nothing he could do. And it says so beautifully on that page before, we found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he can be found. It is so, it was so with us. No, so all the barriers that he had built up 
all the walls, all the blocked up places could come down. Those places could come down and he could step from the bridge to the shore. And what did he step into? He stepped into power and love. And for the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. You know, what a beautiful, beautiful way for for Bill W. to use these words to describe to us what that can be like. You know, that it poured over and through him. And it came with a certainty. And that feeling, that feeling can be attained. That feeling can be worked at by doing the step. By doing the steps. But it starts with step one, step two, and step three. You know, are you powerless? Do you have a need for this greater power? And are you willing to give yourself over? Absolutely. Turn yourself absolutely over. And when you do that, this, this is what happens. This is what happens. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Margaret. Retired Hi. In South Jersey. Margaret, go ahead. Good morning. Um, yes, I love it when it says, uh, is it possible that all of the religious people I know have been wrong? And, um, you know, just like the other person had said, that, that, that it has come more slowly. I think about in Bill's story uh, where he says that when Ebby was there, that he could build, or from he could build what Ebby had, and I think that's what I've had to realize that I had to do uh, because it, I didn't have. I wanted that great thunderbolt to come down upon me, and it hasn't been that way for me. And just a few pages back, it talked about how the presence um, flowed into them. And the other day, somebody said on the line that it trickled. And, you know, that gave me so much hope because that's the way it's been. Sometimes I feel like it's flowing in. The more I can cast my old ideas to the side, sometimes I feel like that spiritual experience is flowing in. And sometimes it really, really just is a trickle. But every day I know it's coming a little bit more at a time, a little bit more at a time. As long as I keep working in the steps, you know, doing what I'm told to do, um, having people in my life who the problem has been solved has been the biggest thing for me. I feel like I wake up every morning and I have a choir of people who tell me that this problem has been solved and to just keep coming. And so thank God I don't need any more, but I still get the restlessness, irritable, and discontent at times. But I know what to do now because I've been taught what to do. And what a blessing. I mean, what a really blessing to know that every day I can live my life this way and that the trickle keep come, comes and the flow comes and, you know, maybe someday the thunderbolt will come, but who knows, and I, I just appreciate it all. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Anyone else? This, this is Christy. This is Robin. Hi, it's Linda. I'd like to share again, if I may. Okay, one moment, please. I heard Christy, Robin, Linda. Let's go in that order. So Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. Good morning, everyone. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I love these two lines here that say, these two sentences, the barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. And, you know, the big book does such a great job of teaching me that, you know, presenting to me the idea that I am my biggest problem. 
I am my biggest problem. You know, um, you know, I had a, I couldn't deal with life. I picked up the food, and it blocked me from any any kind of life. You know, and I don't know. You know, I mean, I could say early on, I don't know what you know what what I was put on this planet for, but I'm pretty sure it was not to live a life in active addiction. I, I don't know what I was put here for, but that's not it. I'm pretty sure. And I had to get to that point. I had to get to that point. You know, I mean, I can read this paragraph and I can tell you, I can tell you that I felt this way. I felt this way the day I woke up after I had lived my first day in 100% crystal clean and clear abstinence. I had asked someone to be my sponsor. I had, you know, reported the food I was going to eat to that sponsor in the morning. And, you know, by the end of the day, I put my head on that pillow and I had done exactly what I said I was going to do. You know, I, I had a plan and I followed it. I had lots of plans and schemes and all kinds of things and I followed it. And I, I'm telling you, I, you know, I woke up that next day with a belief and the hope that I was on a, a new path. I was on a new path. Did I know that that new path was a path that was going to break down those barriers, those walls I had built with boxes and bags of food? You know, I, I did not know that. I did not know that. But that was my first step into opening up a brand new life. You know, I had a problem. I had a problem with food. I mean, the big book teaches me that I had a problem in my thinking. I had my problem. I had a problem in my reacting to life. You know, when I was fat, my problem was that I was fat. Well, what was my problem when I was thin? My problem wasn't that I was thin. That's not what I said. I said my problem was you. My problem was God. You know, and why was my problem God? Because I would wish every night when I went to bed that I would somehow be struck by abstinence, that I would wake up 170 pounds thinner the next day that I would magically have found some way in my sleep, you know, during my rapid eye movement, deep sleep, to put down the food. That's not what happened. I had to put down the food. I had to put down the food. I had to take the action. I had to take the action. And what brought me to that point was desperation, a lot of desperation, decades, decades and decades of eating compulsively and absolute insanity. And, you know, if you wanted me to believe in, you know, rocks out in the street, I would have done it. I didn't care at that point. I, I opened, all I had to do was crack open that mind just a teeny bit, a sliver, a sliver. And I believed in the people who said, you know, they didn't approach me and say, we found God, you can too. They said, we have been saved. We have been saved. Here's a life ring. Grab hold and we will pull you into the lifeboat. And I said, thank you, because I am drowning. I am drowning. And I'm out here trying to figure out how to swim all by myself. And I have no idea. And I, you know... You know, gratefully, gratefully, one day at a time, my mind has opened up, my heart has opened up to other people, to other ideas, and to the sense of a reason for being here, the sense of a power greater than myself that has a bigger plan for me, a bigger plan for me. And, I mean, it's, you, you, you know, for me, I had to experience that. And I, I, can't, I can't even put it into words. You know, I stumble over the words because I can't describe it. I can't describe it. It's too big for words. It's too big for words. Um, 
you know, but my hope for all of you, if you're not there, is that you get to experience that as well. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Christy. We'll move on to Robin, please. Um, sorry, I missed you. I was unmuting. Did you say Robin? That's it. You're okay. it. Okay, got it. This is Robin. Um, I did not have this burning bush experience. I wish I had. I really wanted one, but it sure didn't come to me that way. The only thing that I was conscious of was stepping from the bridge to the shore. It was this leap of faith I took. And what I remember is I had a sponsor who encouraged me to just keep my eyes on her. And I, I put on my blinders just like a horse, and I just followed her back. I followed her back. I followed her back. And what I what happened as time went by was these other things came to be for me. The barriers were swept away. I stood in the presence of an infinite power and love. Um, I was I was overwhelmed by the conviction of the presence of God. But it did not happen at first. At first, it was all about, as Christy said, becoming abstinent. I couldn't I couldn't grasp any of this un, until I took the action of becoming abstinent. And the abstinence I found was because I found a sponsor. So for me, the leap of faith was what started everything else that occurred after that, which is exactly what this paragraph talks about. So if you haven't had this burning bush experience, do not despair. There is recovery for every one of us. And for me, it was all about action, just as Christy said, because I had been sitting crying in my bed hoping for the burning bush experience, which never came, because I was too caught up in my own ego. I was too caught up in my own problems, my own self-pity, my own victimization. And when I went to find somebody who had what I wanted and she allowed me to follow her like a pack mule, everything else came true. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Linda. Are you there? We don't hear Linda. Hi. Oh, thanks, Janice. Go ahead. Hey, can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. Um, I had the same experiences as the two folks ahead of me, and what I had to get abstinent. And I followed my sponsor like a pack mule. And one night we went to a meeting, and I just happened to overhear, by coincidence, and of course I know it wasn't now, someone say to someone else, well, I just have to find my higher power. So I just said to God, look, if you're real, would you please show me that you're real beyond a shadow of a doubt? And I thought, can you say that to God? Well, I don't know. So it sounded like a plan, and I was that desperate. And I happened to talk to the person that was chairing, and he said, it's going to knock your socks off. So go ahead. And I was very innocent in that sense, so I, I thought, I'll try. So I did. And I had an experience, uh, burning. someone called it a burning bush experience, just like Bill. It 
floored me. It, it, it is beyond words. And is that because I'm special? Yes, I'm special, and you all are special. And that's what I've learned over time. And what I had to do, um, are they all like that? No, I didn't order that up. That was grace. Uh, that was uh, that experience for that day. Do all my experiences like that? No, they are not. And do I get scared and have to walk through lessons? Yes, I do on a regular basis. But because I have you all, especially my sponsor and you, you folks on Vision, um, <clears throat> and because I have the big book and those steps, I can... Uh, kind of ride through the rough times, you know, the part where there's a hurricane coming, you've got a tree the size of, uh, you know, Paul Bunyan. So, near your house. What I'm saying is, it's life lessons. Some of them are huge, some of and they're scary. I'm, I'm addictive. Of course I'm scared sometimes. But I ask for guidance and I do it with the help of all of you, too, the support and everything. Works. Can I share? Hello? Go ahead. Leah, Leah, can you press star one to unmute? Thank you to everyone. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. Thank you for all the shares around the room. We'll continue uh, finishing this chapter on Monday. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sharon, could you read that for us, please? Thank you. Absolutely. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God can constantly, will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. God bless you and keep you until then. And I pass.